follow the Four Corners Podcast on social media. Like us on Facebook, Four Corners Podcast. Follow us on Twitter, Podcast Four Corners. And check us out on Instagram, Four Corners Podcast. You can also subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher. Don't forget to leave us a five-star review. I want to take this time to apologize to the television audience for what they're about to see. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Four Corners Podcast. I'm Shad here with Matt and Brad. Guys, how are you doing? Uh, I'm doing well, Shad. I think better than you. <laughs> not, a, I think not, be... not, not, not all of us are doing well. No. Yeah, no, that's that's a fair point. I I, I went to the doctor's office um, a few days ago, and they're like, well, you don't have the flu. And I was like, wow, I feel like death warmed over. I bet this is this is it, right? I've got the got the bug, and then I got the call earlier today, and I'm like, no, you don't have that either. It's like, oh, good. I have the new hidden unknown bug of whatever that's beating the fire at me. Well, but if you guys latest, are doing okay, uh, that's what's important. <laughs> the latest foreign, you got, you got the latest foreign virus. <laughs> oh, good. Yes. Good. It's. Could we get something out of Europe, please? Like, you know, just for a change of pace. Yeah, we did. It's called the plague. Congratulations, <laughs> Shad. You're patient zero. Okay, we need we need a Canadian one then, because we got Montezuma's Revenge. We got the plague out of Europe. We've got we've got uh, COVID out of Asia. We've got Ebola out of Africa. Canada. It's it's your turn. It'd be a nice, polite one that that would inconvenience you but wouldn't kill you. Yellow fever. <laughs> That's like, that's like that's like um that's like one of those things you get like when you're um when you're like going to the bathroom in your water source. That's like one of those like ye olden um ye olden time diseases. Like scarlet fever. I have a friend who has had through the weirdest set of circumstances has had like a bunch of the organ trail diseases. So he's had scarlet fever. And, you know, uh, dysentery and stuff. Nobody else around him doing the same stuff he was at the time got it. And, you know, he's one of the most fastidiously clean people I know. So I don't know how it happened. But anyway. So um, thank you, everyone, for being with us for whatever for this this Christmas plague edition or whatever it is. <clears throat> we'll get our shout outs taken care of the first one's going to go to collar and elbow with the wrestling brand use the promo code four corners podcast that's number four capital c and corners capital p and podcast no spaces save 10 percent off your order or some other percent if they're running a promotion because they keep doing that and i haven't kept track real good and then there's another shout out that we're going to give over to matt uh, yeah, that'd be to Orlando Cologne. To my knowledge, Orlando Cologne does not have the plague <laughs> from Canada <laughs> or, or other places. Uh, and I'll hope that it stays that way. Yeah. So we don't get topical uh, very often. 
anymore. Just just hasn't been some interest, but we've had some topical stuff pop lately that we wanted to talk about. So, Brad, why don't you uh, set the stage? Well, I wanted to say we're planning to do a Pat Patterson episode, but due to Shad's health, <clears throat> and um, it is the holidays, so we're kind of hardcore um, doing some taping sessions, so... It'll probably be about two weeks from now before you see the Pat Patterson one because we're doing an episode between this one and when we record again. Cause we're trying to, we're kind of trying to pad out the year before the holidays hit. So that mm-hmm. is coming. So just be aware of it. So uh, it will we, be banana. It was actually scheduled to be this. We, this was it was originally scheduled for this week, but then um, I guess. That w- I guess his death was Wednesday morning, and then AEW happened, and it kind of turned the whole wrestling world on its ear for a night. Dead, yeah. Like, I was trying to think the last time, like, a show happened, and just, like, <clears throat> kind of created, like, total chaos in a single night, and I'm really... I'm thinking maybe like the CM Punk like contract in the summer of Punk, but that's like the last time I can really think about it. And they ruined that because they brought him like immediately back. Oh yeah, they they should have basically kept him off. Well, certainly they shouldn't have brought him back, but they should have kept him kind of just making appearances at uh I don't know conventions or something like that, holding the title for like at least. At least three months. Yeah. Maybe even like six months. He should have. So, like, they could have. Now we're in like fantasy booking, but maybe they could have like six months and then had him come back like at the Royal Rumble or something like that. I think they what? He came back like he missed eight. He missed like 1.9 Raws and came back at the end of the second Raw. Hmm. Is what I remember. And then, of course. So, of course, that gets, like, is, like, the hottest thing they've had in a while. And, of course, he runs, like, headlong into Triple H and just mm-hmm. never regains that. But I did, I did want to, I did, it, it brought up an interesting conversation I think we had. And I think we agreed on an answer. But, so, John Moxley's <laughs> world title reign has ended. Um, he lost to Kenny Omega before it all hit the fan. And... I was trying to remember the last like great world title run because I thought Moxley's run was really great. Um, good interviews, good angles. I thought they built all of his title defenses really well. Like even the TV ones I thought were mm-hmm. well done. Yeah, they did a, they did a really good job for the most part. I could be wrong. I could have, I could be misremembering a certain um, show or here or there. But they did do a good job. If they were going to have him uh, face someone for the title, they would at least build towards it. It, would, it wasn't just like, I don't like Raw, where it's like, Drew McIntyre is going to face Dolph Ziggler for the title. It's like, no, it's not some random thing. They, at least uh, someone they, would win a match to earn yeah. it. But, but he had, I'm just thinking off the top of my head, so he had the MJF match, which was really a year of build, not with them interacting, but with like MGF going like undefeated for so long. There was the the Brian Cage match and angle I thought was probably one of their better storylines of the year. And then you had the, this upcoming one, which was uh, versus Kenny Omega, which 
essentially they've built to since the first show. Yeah. I think in between then they also had they Darby definitely had Allen was in there. Darby Allen was in it. They had Lance Archer uh, booked yeah. to face him. They had who else do they have? There's one other one I, I can't remember. Um uh, Might have been another Taz. No, they had, oh, they had Brody Lee. They had Brody Lee. Oh, that's right. They, so that one actually, there wasn't a lot of build. They just had him. Uh, he defended it again against. He defended it against Brody Lee. Uh, I forget which pay per view it was. It was. Um, it was. And I felt it was kind of. It was almost thrown to. Was it in? Uh, it wasn't at all out, was it? Yeah, I think it was. It was in the no. All out was um, all out was MJF. I think that was whatever double or nothing was this year. Ah, uh, I see. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I knew it was like one of their their kind of quote unquote big two shows. Uh, he he, he fought Brody Lee, and I did think that was a little like thrown together. Yeah. But that actually wound up being a really good match, and they actually did a great job. And this is another testament to AEW's booking. They did a really good job making Brody Lee just look like a monster. And Moxley won. And he was booked well in that, excuse me, he clearly came out the victor. And he was able to advance against Brody Lee. But they did make Brody Lee look strong. Like, even in defeat, they made him look like Moxley had to basically throw everything at him to win. I also think it, it uh it speaks highly of his title reign that we can actually remember specific challengers and we probably named off like 80% of his title defenses over the course of yeah. about 10 months. Did I blank and we did, do we mention Ed Kingston? Oh or, no, that's, that's a good one. That. that was that a good was one. That was really good. That deserves its own. So that one was a really great one. And it was in an I quit match and was a, was a very violent, hard-hitting match, and a lot of people actually wanted Eddie Kingston to win, which is not a knock on Moxley. It's just that Eddie Kingston, uh, obviously, Eddie Kingston has been around a long time. He has his fan base, but ever since he's gotten the chance to wider exposure uh, on Dynamite, people have really taken him. Uh, I know a guy on on Twitter who is not even like he's, he's a younger person. He's not even like that into like old school wrestling. He doesn't really even know a lot of guys from like the eighties and probably like the early nineties, but he is a big fan of AEW and of dynamite. And he's like, Eddie Kingston is my guy. And this is like, this is a, a kid who's not, he's not even well-versed on like the indie wrestling scene that he would even know Eddie Kingston from like his days in Jakara or, or CZW or any of those other places. But he's seen enough Eddie Kingston in the last few months. And he's a huge fan of him. And the way they booked that, that whole feud with Moxley, which was, it was almost all Eddie Kingston promo work. Although Moxley had some really, really good promos against They really hyped that matchup and people were excited to see that match. And that, I think that pay-per-view, I think, I think that did like a hundred thousand buys. Like they, it got a good buy number. They, I think all of their pay-per-views have been within the same realm of each other though. Haven't they? I think so. Uh, and I would actually say 100,000 buys consistently is actually like a real win for them because well, it's, it's a company that... Uh-huh. 
It's nothing. What were you say? EC, ECW never, never crossed a hundred thousand. I think they got ninety. I once. mean, and Impact has never. Impact got two. I think seventy. 75 for like Angle and Joe, but they never broke that barrier either. You had mm. asked if there had been any <sighs> the closest thing. Um, Brad, you'd asked if they're the closest thing to, to Mux's run. Um, I went looking back through some of the, the last range, and I think the closest thing we can come to, to Moxley's run was AJ's like one year run. Back in 2017 to 2018, I feel so like that close. was an afterthought. But th- that was that's the closest thing to it I think we that we've had in the last few years. I think yeah. um, what I settled on that that felt like as good a world title run and actually pushed the company forward, and it's actually the only time this decade ROH was getting some buzz behind it. I feel and. Um, kind of lived off of it for a while before the elite came in but was jay briscoe's run in like i think like 2014 or so his like year and Mm -hmm. a half run where they kind of like tripped into him like having not lost a match for like two years and then um unfortunately he lost to jay lethal and they kind of really that's when their problems really became apparent but that reign i think really was the only thing I can think of in North America that comes close to it. I was just looking for recent, so. Oh, because I, I, like WWE, I mean, Punk had that really long reign, but I feel like Punk's reign really ran out of steam and had issues um, throughout. And I feel like that was kind of after they'd screwed up by like jobbing him to Triple H and Kevin Nash. <clears throat> Yeah. Oh, issues with something involving punk. I am be be still my heart. I am shocked. I'm sorry. I'm 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 just in a real cynical mood. Punk decided to get on. I think it was um, Renee Paquette's podcast and was was talking, and it just reminded me how much I I just don't like the guy. So I'm not being fair. No, I mean he's a he's a good worker, but like. He really does make it hard to look back on his stuff with any fond remembrance because he's such like he's just such a miserable person. After Talk. what he did to Colt, I just I, I can't like him anymore. Colt went to bat for him and then he pulled he pulled the rug out from under Colt. I'm sorry, Matt, I cut you off. No, you're fine. Uh I I remember this is a few years back, but I've mentioned before, like, I'm good friends with, uh, I'm real life friends with a friend of the show, <laughs> Christy Petrillo. Uh I feel I'm obligated to mention him, like, every every episode of the show. Um, but he and I are good life friends, uh, real life friends. Many years we've known each other. Chris was, uh, was in my wedding party. That's how close we are. Uh, I remember one of the years I went up for his birthday, we watched, me, him, uh, or, or another friend of the show, Damien, we watched the punk uh, documentary that the WWE put out years ago. And I remember watching that. And I knew punk. I knew punk from his indie days. I was a fan of his. I was a fan of his work. But I remember watching that documentary. And these documentaries are, are meant, to, meant to, for you to walk away and have a better understanding of the person. 
and give you kind of like a, a more a, a deeper appreciation of who they are. I actually walked away from that with the attitude like, wow, Punk is just a, uh, an inseparable douche. Like he's just an asshole. That's always been my oh, take wow. on him. Uh, I, he's I, a. Go ahead, Matt. Go ahead. I was just gonna say, no, even go back in the day, watching the 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 Joe Punk, you know, three match series, I I didn't care for him then. Like just his attitude at that point aggravated me. He was kind of well known. Um, he's kind of well known in his indie days of being not necessarily kind of fans, but people really. People really gave him a pass on that for what I felt like was far too long. Mm-hmm. And there's a, a lot of people still wanting to give him, um, want, wanting to give him a pass for stuff. If it, well, it feels like it feels like after he got clowned in the UFC twice, like it's become a little more fair game to talk about what a douche he is. But mm-hmm. um, it really took the guy getting clowned so hard in like an actual fight for people to feel better about that, which, you know, I never knew why he thought that was a good option because if we, if we go way back, let's, let's, let's hop back in our way back machine here to um, when he got fired from TNA because he got in a fight with Teddy Hart by all um, firsthand accounts of that, like Teddy Hart, like just absolutely dominated him from just having boxing training Look, Teddy Hartson, he's well chronicled as an idiot. But, you know, Punk was basically going after, you know, going after him, <clears throat> not to be like, hey, Teddy, you're being an idiot, but to be like, the way his responses were, oh, look how great I am to score the sick burn, it seemed like. And maybe that's my, my prejudice showing through. But I... I don't know. It, it, there's always been something about the guy that's irritated me. Just, just from the first time I saw him, and he's, I, I can't. Maybe he reminded me of someone I knew in the past. I couldn't stand, but I can't put my finger on it. He's like that. He's like that person we all know that didn't get that one specific Christmas present they wanted when they were 14, and it's 30 years later, and they haven't let it go yet. Do oh, you mean not getting the USS flag when you were six? Yes, not getting the <laughs> not getting the five hundred dollar GI Joe toy. What's that? Yeah, five hundred dollars in eighty eighties month. I thought it was like one hundred and twenty five or something. I, don't know. I had a friend in that had Fortress. Month. I had a friend that had Fortress Maximus. Oh wow! And it I had was a friend big. That uh, layer. Shad, mm-hmm. it was like a little under two hundred. But uh, adjust, adjusted for inflation, if you if that was in twenty twenty dollars, it would have been like five hundred dollars. Mm, okay. Do you realize? I always wanted that. I've seen it like, on eBay. I actually went looking for that on eBay recently, and it was like some people, someone was selling it complete, but for like fifteen hundred dollars. And it's like, geez. no, I can't. I do can't you do that. Like, do you realize? Like at the time that came out, you for double that price, you could have gotten a Commodore sixty four. And had a whole world of pirated video games at your disposal. Mm-hmm. Yep. Because as an early PC adopter, I don't know when you guys like joined the the PC world or your family did, but um, 
I know as a child that had a PC, I think we had one about ni- 1990-ish. Um, you always knew someone that had been into computers for a long time that would just show up to your house with a number of floppy disks just full of <laughs> of um, morally grayly acquired computer games. Yeah. So... You know, I just that that's that's the point of respect. Because I think I think Commodore sixty four was five hundred bucks when it hit. Um, my family got a one twenty eight that had the sixty four software or whatever on it, used from somebody, mm. and then and then we had we had like boxes of floppy disks for different stuff. I had so. our first one was an IBM, and then we had. I think it was Windows 3.1 was, I think, the first real Windows system I remember where you had to, like, actually boot it into Windows. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, because you go into DOS and then into Windows. Yeah. But that's what that's what, that's what Punk kind of reminds me of. I just, I have no, I have no tolerance from, and for someone, and for someone, I mean, and I know it's all bullshit, like, he's just doing it to up his profile but he really like he really annoys me because he seems to have he seems to have no time for people that helped like pay his way in life and um it really i really i really i really don't like people and this is true of any profession i really hate celebrities wrestlers athletes comic book creators or whatever that seem to think it's like a badge of honor to treat their fans like garbage i have i have utter contempt for those people yeah that's i mean look i know like the 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 story behind the um the the fan ambushing sasha banks at a airport that's, like that's four in different the though that's different yes that's a super obnoxious fan but if you have fans who come up and you're like hey you know I'm a big fan of your stuff. I really appreciate what you've done. And like, for God's sake, these are the people that are buying your stuff. These are the people that are tuning in to watch you. And I think Sasha's <laughs> point was that she was more annoyed at people ambushing her at 4 a.m. for her to sign stuff that they were obviously going to sell on eBay. I don't think she had an issue if someone was like genuinely or like stalker fans. I don't think someone I don't think she was talking about someone that just happened to run across her and was like, hey, I'm a big fan like Blah, blah, yeah, you know. It, yeah, if I could tell, it's probably awesome. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, Matt. Do you think? I was just gonna say it's it, it's probably harder too if you're one of the, the female workers, just because mm. there, there's probably like a lot of creepy dudes out there you have to deal with. Yeah. Even even try to be like well-meaning or stands. Uh, there's there's people out there who can be really creepy, but yeah. Uh, go ahead, Chad. I'm sorry. Um, odd story. But uh, a couple of years ago, I was uh, I was flying uh, down to Florida for a, uh, a professional conference, and I'm sitting there at at the boarding waiting. And I look up and I see this guy sitting. Uh, you know, we're we're waiting in the boarding area, and a couple of rows of seats over. I see this dude sitting there, and I'm like, I know who that is. And it took me a minute to put it together, but then finally it fell into place, and it um, <clears throat> it was Simon Grimm dude sitting there you know looking at his phone waiting to board 
And he looked up and he saw me looking at him. And in my head, I was like, okay, how are you going to do this? Are you going to be that guy? And instead, I just made eye contact with him, gave him a little up-chin nod. He gave me a little up-chin nod back, and we both went back to what we were doing. Because all I could figure is, this guy looks just, I mean, he just looks wore out. And he just doesn't look like he wants to be bothered. So that wasn't going to bother the guy. I mean, all I would say is, I appreciate your work. I loved your gimmick. You know, I wish things might have worked out a little bit different for you, but um, I wasn't even going to bother. And there are some people that just seem to lack the awareness to to look at something and go, go, you know, oh, you know, it. Yeah, it's cool that I'm seeing this person, but I shouldn't bug him. Sorry, that was a big non sequitur. Some of those, some people are different though. Like Mick Foley, I think. If you did that, he would probably walk over to you and be like, start talking to you. Mm. Not yet. Some people, I, but like I yeah, said, I just... I, oh, go ahead, I Matt. had the chance to, at one of these... Sorry, I had at the chance I, uh, at the at one of these WrestleCon shows, I actually had the chance to uh, uh, meet him. I, I know some of these people just probably, they turn themselves on for these conventions and stuff. But he did seem like just a very like friendly, outgoing person, and was really excited to see people talk to people who, you know, wanted an autograph or was going to buy like something from his merch table. So yeah, I think you're probably right. Like he probably would be the type to be like want you to actually engage with him if you. Some would, and some some may just, and it could just depend on the day. Yeah, it yeah. could just be like, look, man, I'm not having a good day. Could, I'm sorry about this. I'm not having a good day. Yeah, if you want to get a picture, that's fine. But I, I need some time to myself. But on the other hand, like Brad said, Punk just seemed like someone who enjoyed, you know, uh, you know, kind being of being a Yeah, and he'll he'll cherry pick his reasons why, you know, because it's based off of the the one fan who's like, "Hey, man, I paid for your house." And it's like, okay, that that's that's the only example you've ever given. You know, have, have we got, do we got more to go on or is that the only one? I am. Um, I was going to say from indie shows I've been to, um, really friendly guys I've met. Uh, Eddie Kingston was super friendly. Um, when I got a signature from him, uh, Dasher Hatfield, obviously. I mean, I think everyone would think that is, <laughs> And I know um, from the ROH shows I went to, like, I never interacted with him, but, like, Moose, would, when he was with ROH, would always, like, kind of wander through the crowd, fist bump people, and just say hey to a couple people uh, during the shows or before the shows and stuff. So um, those guys always stood out to me. I think the Bucks actually, I have a friend online who said um, he went to a show with the Bucks, and um, his daughter wanted a picture with them, and their handler tried to charge charge her what they were charging people and the bucks were like you're not charging her she's a kid like get her over here and get the picture and they didn't charge her so um there's a lot of there's a lot of people that are pretty cool just not punk but sorry i took us off on that rant we were no it's okay i we were it, talking but um so then so then what the big angle was, so Kenny Omega won the AEW world title. And then um, with help from his friend, uh, Don Callis, like if you want to go online and read about their like real life history <clears throat> together, 
Um, mm. It does add a good touch of flavor to the story. So they win the title, and they go charging off to the back. And um, they try to interview him, and Callus says, you know, well, you can find out on Tuesday because he's going to be appearing on Impact Wrestling. And that's what takes us off the air. And indeed, uh, Kenny Omega is going to appear on Impact Wrestling as um, it looks like they've, they're going to at least have a short-term working relationship with Impact Wrestling. <clears throat> yeah, and I want to go into that in a second, but uh, as a side tangent, uh, someone actually brought this up on the Observer Facebook group that I'm a part of. It's not technically Observer, but it's most of the people from the Observer board are on it. Uh, they brought this up. Someone actually postulated this, and I don't quite agree with it, but it's an interesting uh, thought. This person was saying, uh, is Don Callis himself one of the most influential people in wrestling in the last few years? And the reason he was saying that is because if you you do want to kind of make the argument, you could you could make an argument that he is somewhat responsible for the kind of like mini boom period that we're going through in the sense that his putting together the whole or at least facilitating the whole Omega Jericho match in uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling is what, is what really got a lot of American fans interested in what was going on in New Japan uh, really was hyping up like the Bucks and the Elite when they were part of Bullet Club and New Japan splitting time between New Japan and ROH, the American Indies. And then that also kind of things you could argue into AEW even forming. So this person was saying, like, you know, is Don Cows the catalyst for all these things that have been happening? And I, I think, don't I don't quite agree with that. I think it's God. I think I think that Omega Jericho match was kind of like not the catalyst. I feel like that was the explosion of a lot of things that had been going on, like the Bucks getting Bullet Club stuff into um, into like stores and stuff. Yeah, and I think like all mm-hmm. these events happened to make all these profiles hi- higher, and then he got that <laughs> match to happen, and Jericho kind of just like ignited all of it by by giving people a reason to check it out, and you know. And I think I think if you go back and you watch that Jericho Mega match, it's really good. And uh, yeah. that Wrestle Kingdom's really good. And you know they, I think I think it really it really helped. And then they they kind of came out of that with some good angles because I think that's when they started doing like <clears throat> the Bullet Club turned on Omega, and then they're doing like the Golden Lovers versus the Bucks and like Cody here. And <clears throat> you know I think I think that that's big reason why AEW kind of formed when the Meltzer, yeah. Meltzer <laughs> also saying that no one could draw 10,000 <clears throat> fans and them taking up the challenge. Yeah, that was actually a big, uh, I think, big factor. Uh, I will note, like, I, I'll, I'll sidetrack myself again, but just speaking about the whole, um, since you brought it up, actually getting like the, the wrestling shirts in stores like hot topic that's still paying dividends like i just uh i've saw on social media especially twitter that i guess hot topic now has a Danhausen t-shirt that they're actually that's one of the wrestling shirts they're offering currently in their hot topic stores 
And that's just amazing. I mean, Dan Housen is kind of getting a he's getting a lot of heat and attention on on the indie scene and kind of the underground. And I'm really I'm really happy about that because I think he's a very talented guy. His character work is like amazing. But that's crazy that you have this this indie worker, even though he's getting a lot of uh, attention and heat right now. The fact that this random dude now has a T-shirt that is going to be sold in stores nationwide, maybe even like internationally. Like that's fantastic, and that wouldn't be happening if there wasn't like a really healthy market out there for for wrestling product, at least you know non WWE wrestling product. Yeah, and I think um, I think it's been interesting. I know I know that the AEW haters like to call Tony Khan a, a money mark and all that stuff, but they're really they're really full of it at this point because I think. Um, I think what we've seen with Tony is that not kind of being a wrestling insider has allowed them to do some things and go in some directions that have made them unique and has paid off for them, like partnering with other companies. And there's, but you know, just thinking outside of the box or melding mm-hmm. like, or, or, or getting that outsider perspective. So you can kind of mold <laughs> old school concepts that went away, like valuing championships, but doing it in such a way that makes sense in like a modern era, not like the Jim Cornette thing where he kind of correctly sees issues with modern wrestling, but that he can't, he can't make that work within the context of new wrestling because his ideas are too outdated, even if he sees what's wrong. The people that that call Khan a money mark are missing a piece of information. I think that I think word came out a while back that you know at the beginning AEW was you know it's new and exciting and everybody's hyped for it, but then at one point it started just getting better. Um, that apparently that's when he started taking a little bit more of a firm hand, and so instead of it being like, oh you know Khan's just a money mark, it's like mm, no. He seems to have a pulse on what's going on and wants to make this good. He so took um he took that first work. time that first time they lost to, that NXT the time they lost to NXT in the middle of December he took that super personally, and um, that's when things started to change because they lost in the ratings to NXT and he just did not like that. And that's when he said, like, he became more comfortable telling people no and to not compromise what he thought was right. I think it's it's just the very definition of like money mark. I think it's wrong, too, because money mark, the the implied thing is that they're just pouring money into into something that is actually paying dividends or making them money back in return, that they're just, you know, they're they're being conned. They're they're in they're part of the mark. Uh, and that's not that's not what Tony Khan's doing. I mean, AEW, I'm sure it's not as profitable as it should be because they're not able to really have fans and do touring. But with the TV deal, I think they are still in the black. Yeah, I think so, so too. I, I think mean, I think you're they've, not, my opinion. You're not a hmm? sorry. I was go gonna ahead. say I think they um I think they've they're holding on like to profitability. Might not be much, but I think they're still in the black. 
Yeah, and, and if you're in the black, like you're not a money mark. Like you're you're just you're an investment. Well, I I you know. Were you gonna say Shad? Just just the term the the uh, the term mark. If you're gonna be in the business, means that you're you're a fool. You're getting you're getting hoodwinked. You know, you would pull it. The idea of of the marks in the crowd, you get them invested, even though everybody now knows the secrets out, the cats out of the bag, the genies out of the bottle. You can still get people invested. They're referred to as marks because you can get it over on them. Um, Tony Khan don't qualify. I know, he knows I think, what's um, up. I think the term mark is antiquated anyway. Like I really think. If there's the the fans in the crowd aren't marks anymore, I honestly think um, I honestly think if if you're talking about the wrestling sphere, like if there are marks left, it tends to be the wrestlers themselves at this point. The the term should <clears throat> really the term should have evolved into something else at this point because you can you can be a fan and know what's up. And so you don't get sucked into the, you know, storyline just because it's a storyline. But you can also be a mark for somebody and be like, I love seeing this. I want to see him do well. You know, I like seeing them on my TV. And the other big secret about wrestling is that everybody who's in wrestling that enjoys doing it is a mark for themselves. Because if you're not, then why are you even doing it? Well, you're you out have there. To, you so, have to. To put yourself in front of people and do that, you kind of have to have some level of narcissism to be able to take like to take the good with the bad for that. Like you have to have kind of an inordinate amount of faith in yourself beyond, I think, what um, a standard person would be to like put yourself in that position to have it potentially go so far afield on you. Brad, this is, yeah. this is a and, joke and some, for everybody, but mm-hmm. are you calling me a narcissist? <laughs> I'm saying you have to have a touch of it to be able to do that. I would I would say that also being a, a glutton for feedback uh, also would 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 perhaps qualify in the stead of the narcissism. But you're it, we're talking about the same thing. It's kind of like when um, when people talk about CEOs and they're always surprised that like they have a lot of psychopathic and sociopathic tendencies and like having people I know that do those jobs. It's like it's not a surprise to me like that job sucks like you have to have certain character traits to be willing to to put yourself through that thankful that I mean that thankless hellhole with so many people's lives depending on your decision making like. Like just like any of that stuff, like yes, like you really, you really have to have a special trait in your brain that lets you put yourself in front of people and potentially have them shower you with rotten fruit. Yeah, there's a certain amount of confidence that that has to go into it, and like I said, you have to be a mark for yourself. Matt, what were you going to say before we so rudely cut you off? Uh, no. Oh. Um, I will make a chat. Narcissus, can you hear me? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, sorry. I think I was cutting out for a second. Uh, I can just make a joke, Chad, that if you are a narcissist, it's okay. Because we will just find a fat Samoan for you to body slam. And then you'll be uh, <laughs> you'll be the all-American Chad. 
<coughs> Damn it, Matt. <laughs> I just think um I just think it and even like podcasting, I mean like I, I mean we really do this for fun, but I mean to think that you kinda have to have a certain level of confidence to think anyone wants to hear your drivel week in and week out too. Not that we don't appreciate it. Don't misunderstand. Yes. No, not that we don't. I'm just saying, like, th- there's a, there's a certain personality trait I think that goes with that. Um, but okay. Um, and then I guess do we want to hit the other big one? Uh, so there was a big debut, which was Sting. Uh, showed you gotta, up. You got to say it right. <laughs> I it's can't do it. Sting. <laughs> Thank you, Matt. I think it was made better by the fact that I think Tony was legitimately excited about that. And I don't know if he knew it was coming, but like he seemed genuinely just like. Oh, so happy. Yeah, like legit happy. If he knew about it or not, like I I almost want him to not have known about it. So that reaction was genuine. But even if he knew, like you could just tell like this is like it's 20 years later. And he's he's able to call that sting on TNT again, and you could just tell he was just so, like he was having so much fun with it. He did the exact same call out that he would do whenever Sting showed up clean out on the NWO, the exact yeah. same one, and it's it, an odd nostalgia trip happening in the modern times, like all together. And that's yeah. you know what's funny about it too is that. Isn't it isn't it funny how WWE uh, you get him out of WWE for like one second he instantly like has the mystique back? Oh yeah, he does. I didn't. I wasn't even aware that. Well, it was obviously a surprise that he was going to be on the show. Uh, I wasn't even watching live. I just uh, looked at my phone because I was doing house chores, and our friend Justin message me he's like oh my god sting just just popped up on aew and i i I literally ran to the tv turned on and unfortunately it was like after the fact but i i was able to watch it uh, on social media like minutes later it's like i have not been so hyped for something in a long time even though i'm i've been hyped for a lot of aew stuff i think that's because i think that's there's a lot of debuts they could have, but I think being on TNT and like what the callbacks of AEW are there, I think I think you couldn't have made like to that crowd a more meaningful like surprise. Debut. There's a couple of things in it that were also really impressive. The first, the pop that he got for a building that's only what like a quarter full, if that. Yeah, and, and but yeah. it was a huge, huge pop. And then here's the cynical part of me uh, to go with what Brad was saying is he gets outside of WWE and it's like he's got the mystique back. That's because he's in a place that wants him to have it, right? Like they're not interested in in undercutting him having it and making him just like everyone else. No, it, yeah. it's like they treated it like a big deal because it was a big deal. And, it, it, you know, it's sting. Um. Hey. And I want to call something out that I, I've seen him in clips over the year. And um, I really didn't notice, but Arn Anderson has quietly lost a massive amount of weight since he got an AEW. 
Like, I want to say, like, 80-plus pounds, at least. Because he's almost, like, he's almost, like, trim. He's getting to the point where he's almost, like, trim again. Yeah, it's, it's, it, it happens so slowly, you know, you didn't notice it until someone points it out to you. But, uh, it's impressive. Good on him. Someone, someone was fantasy booking that you could legitimately do like a four-way match that has um, Jake the Snake, Tully Blanchard, Arn, and Sting um, all managing someone. How fun would that be? Yeah, it, it's well, it seems. Fit. I mean, I I love Sting. I'm a huge Sting mark. I know you are too, Shad. Uh, but Sting's like what, 61, 62? 61, not, I believe. 61, yeah. Yeah, we're not necessarily like anticipating he's going to get back in the ring. I mean, the guy last we heard had had a broken neck not that long ago, so it, it you know it, it's quite likely that we'll never see him actually wrestle again. Although people have theorized like they could do some sort of smoke and mirrors cinematic match, uh, since that's all the rage now. But at least it seems like based upon his coming out and kind of saying some words or at least associating himself with Darby Allen, it sounds like they may be going the, the way that much like uh, some of these other older workers like Jake with Lance Archer and Arn with Cody, they may be having Sting kind of teaming up with, with Darby, giving him like the rub, which I think is I think that'd be an absolutely tremendous use of him. Like I think Darby Allen actually has a ton of potential. Uh, and I know that that word is very loaded potential, but I actually do think Darby Allen's like tremendously talented. I think he has he has all the the necessary tools to become a huge star. And they kind of are. I'm I was happy that they actually had put the title, the TNT title, on him because I think they're starting to kind of slowly actualize all of that. Even though he's smaller, like Darby Allen is a guy who I can believably see be champion down the road. I think he really does have that kind of charisma and popularity that he could be at least like he's been compared a lot to Jeff Hardy which I think is I think it's fair I think he doesn't seem to have the the fault <laughs> the flaws that Jeff Hardy has he is he's a much more technically proficient that's the thing that people miss with Darby Allen and I, it really mm-hmm. pisses me off to a degree but um they see the crazy stuff he does because he had to do that to like actually make it in wrestling but like would you get him doing like some mat work and stuff? Like he is like, there's like a real fluid like beauty to like what he does. And Jeff Hardy was never that technically proficient. Like, like if you wanted to do, if you wanted Darby to go out there and do like, like, just a mat based match, he could do it, and he'd probably be better than whoever you put him in the ring with. And and Jeff was never that well rounded. Well, to my knowledge, like Jeff doesn't have actual wrestling background, whereas Darby Allen actually does. Like he actually was a collegiate wrestler. Uh, the story, as the story goes, he he did it because he actually thought that, that was going to be like professional wrestling because he was a fan. And then you know he obviously learned that it's uh, like collegiate Greco-Roman wrestling is not quite the same thing. You're not doing uh, Hurricane Ranas in in Greco-Roman wrestling, but. He did it, and he definitely has that that talent base, which does make it believable. And that's 
See, that's a thing that I think, again, will really serve him if he continues and, and kind of achieves the level I think he can probably achieve down the road. That's going to help him because some of the best workers out there are the types that it's not just like he he's a flashy high flyer wrestler. He can actually do like on a mat based stuff. And that's going to like give so much longevity to his career, even when he starts to get older and starts slowing down. And he can also just have a, a large, like a, a, a wider variety of matches with a lot of different type of opponents. Yeah, I would agree that with that. Back when we started, uh, we were talking about whenever he first came on AEW TV. I remember, I think he was on Talk as Jericho. And he said he actually kind of preferred to do the mat-based stuff. But like you say, did the crazy stuff to get attention, and that's all anyone ever wanted to see him do. So for to invest someone as big as Sting in someone that could have a potentially long career that Darby could, um, I think... That's a tremendous move. And I love that, that that's what um, AEW seems to be wanting to do is not bring in old people for pop and buy rates. Uh, you know, it in- increases viewership, but it brings in older people to build up your younger talent. And that that seems to be more of the goal. Well, they're doing, just, uh, they're doing the old school idea, though, where... The old guys retire and start managing the new guys. Like they're doing mm-hmm. it. They're doing it the old way that the WWF stopped doing. Yeah, and I love that they are. I absolutely adore it. Because I mean, who would have thought? Who would have thought? And I know we've talked about it before. Can I? Uh... But who would have thought? Um, who would have thought in this day and age we would be sitting around saying like, "Wow, what a great manager Taz is." I was just going to say that I, if I I was going to go into like a tangent like Taz has Taz has become one of the most entertaining aspects of pro wrestling in North America right now. Like he is so good as a manager slash hype man for Team Taz, and, and he he's has, getting all those guys over. And it's an old school re- like heel stable like we haven't seen in decades. Mm-hmm. And I just want to say too, like I actually really like Powerhouse Hob. Yeah, I do too. I think I think he's getting he's getting over, and he's definitely getting over with me. Like when he does like this little sneer, it's like I love it. It's like it, it's very, very old school. Uh, it's tremendous. I think he he's how old is that kid? I think he's young, right? He has to be. I think he's really young. Let me actually look it up. Uh. Pairing him with Taz and with Brian Cage, who is more experienced, like that, he's gonna like that. Well, Ricky Stark is at another level too. I think Ricky Stark signing with AEW and then being put with with Taz is fantastic because I became a big fan of Ricky Starks when he was. uh, We started the year with NWA. In fact, we you know he was one of the first pay per views of the year that we actually reviewed on the show was when was the was Into the Fire. Yeah, no, it was uh, um, Into the Fire's the end of last year. It was um, it was that TV title tournament, but I don't remember what that was called now. Let me look it up real quick. But he won that to to win the uh, the TV title tournament, and he was it was almost like that was a star making performance. And then here we are, we're finishing the year. He's with AEW and is getting screen time, uh, almost on a weekly basis, and has been doing tremendous. Like he's actually growing as a performer both in the ring and his character work is getting like so good. 
So putting powerhouse Hobbs with uh, with that team too is going to make him improve and stand out. And just in general, like AEW is doing a great thing there. I mean, that stable is fantastic. They because they have other storylines going on, like with Christian, whoever he's facing. Like I, I can understand, like you, that's not necessarily the focus. But down the road, you could totally have that team Taz stable being pushed right to the top. They're not quite there yet because, I mean, I think Ricky Starks and Hobbs still needs experience. But you could do so much with them. You could. They have, mm-hmm. a, lot of, they have a lot of room to grow. I, I never actually got on the Taz hate train. Um, I think the, it, it seemed to me people got tired of him doing commentary on SmackDown. But I never, I never really understood why they hated on him as much as they did but to see what he's doing now it's just staggering i think because you grow to hate anyone that's in the wwf booth for any length of time i don't know maybe i just tune them out and don't listen to them but it's it's because i feel anyone on commentary that's even the ones who are good there eventually get worn down and just start phoning it in or they have to say increasingly stupid things because that's what Vince wants them to say. Yeah. Like, I, I I know he's, I think he's very not liked, and that's partly because his real life, I think, personality is this way, but I used to actually like Corey Graves. I think he was a good commentator at one time, and now he's just terrible because, you know, he just says whatever they want him to say, and he's just annoying. I, I think, I think the problem with Graves, though, I think it's a little of column A and a little of column B in that. Mm-hmm. I think it's that, but I also think he's a smug douche who thinks he's way smarter than he is, and that comes across on um, TV a lot. Yeah. And he's not—he's not self-aware enough to harness that into like proper heel energy, and just becomes like aggravating. Yeah. I don't know. Talk- I, I, for me, Graves is just kind of—he's leaned on the things that someone seems to like. So he just keeps doing those, and we we go right back to what Matt said. He reminds but then me again, of, um, I ain't listened to him forever. He reminds me of um, sometimes. He reminds me of like Daryl Hammond's Sean Connery, where he thinks he's way funnier than he is, and just like rolls around in his like ill-fated attempts at humor way too much instead of like getting in and out like a professional would. Like Keenan, like who was funny even if he threw out a bad line like he would just move on to the next thing because he you know it was either about letting it sit there or like trying to get something in over your head whereas like graves like has to like roll in his own cleverness if he thinks he got like a good line in there i know where he pissed me off though it's like when bailey cashed in the money in the bank and beat charlotte and he would just not shut the fuck up and give her his give her the moment he had to mm-hmm. like make it about him, and it's just like, dude, shut up. Again, um, the, there's probably a fair amount of somebody in his ear on that sort of stuff. So, you know, what I, I can't. Uh, I'm getting to the place I can't pass judgment um, anymore Except- on people who are commentating in WWE. I, I can't imagine what it's like trying to do your job with someone jammering in your ear the entire time. I blame Michael Cole. He's he's was, he's terrible, and he'll Michael Cole maybe not watch for a long time, but the worst, and he will always be the worst because he is a dumb human being, is Coach. 
I don't care. I don't Ugh. care any of the excuses. Coach is just terrible, and he doesn't get being a, a wrestling commentator. I I, I, I won't disagree. That. So were we gonna hit on on the comparison to that AEW show? Or... Um, I didn't see all of War Games. I just watched um, the very ill-fated women's match. Hmm. Um, it feels like the reception to War Games has kind of been uh, the main event was good. The rest of the show was eh. Is kind of the general reaction I've seen. People do seem to have liked the main event, but it's not uh, the men's War Games match. But it's not like this. It doesn't seem memorable. Like People aren't gonna really be talking about it probably not even like next week which no no it feels like it feels like the the takeover concept has really it feels like people are starting to catch up with where we were about a year ago where like they're really going like oh wait nxt is really not that great anymore and you can kind of start even melter's kind of starting to say like you know the takeovers really haven't been that good since you know portland this is like a longer rant I could get into later, but it's, I don't really feel, can can you hear me? Yeah. You're kind of echoey though. Yeah. Sorry. Like my, my, (laughs) I actually accidentally unplugged my microphone. I, I think really going to TV to compete with, AEW is really, to me, is what caused like a, a precipitous decline in NXT. It's because they hot shot like, it, it was for like better, six months. It was just a network. Yeah, they hot shot well, way too much when it was. And it, and it, 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 they had to expand to two hours, which complicated things because you could really, you could really dole out appearances and really protect people from overexposure beforehand. But the hot shotings really killed them because think about. Think about one of the first times they beat AEW in the ratings was they gave um, was Rhea Ripley beating Shayna Baszler for the title. Then they job Ripley to Charlotte at um, was it Takeover or Mania? It was Mania. And then they've they've done they've done fuck all with her for the rest of the year. And she was she was hot enough that they beat AEW and they did that for Charlotte. Who's never affected their ratings <laughs> positively, but Rhea Ripley, they just, she's a nobody. Now they, they completely wasted her. She's like an afterthought when she should have been like their next big thing. And she could have been her and Keith Lee. Uh, that Keith Lee is a completely different story. Like that's that's another like complete failure on their part. I just I uh, just don't get it. See I was to me at um I'm sorry, I'm 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 frog jumping. You go ahead, I'll I'll throw this in later. I, I was gonna say for me where I think NXT really started falling off is um after the first Gargano Champa matches where they really started to get into like excessively long main events and like these overwrought like melodramatic main events and like the style just like got out of hand and like the the Champa Gargano stuff 
really in hindsight it's terrible because they started the feud with what should have ended the feud and then they did these like increasingly stupid matches with stupid endings where literally the third one is is Gargano banana peeling himself to death and losing was that the second or third one that was the third one okay. where they the, the 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 second one was where they like pulled the ring mat up and he got beat like on a DDT or something oh, and then the God. third one is where he like um handcuffed Champa and then like did that running knee where he like fell over the sound equipment and then Champa just like won by like I don't know just flopping on top of him or something no, he, by just, I think, being able to stand with the handcuffs or whatever. Oh, okay. But yeah, I remember seeing that finish, and that finish sucks. Like, that would, embarrass, that would embarrass Wiley Coyote. Yeah. Um, it, 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 it's kind of, we're kind of getting back into the, the, the super indie mindset, it seems like. And you then... Know. And then I feel like it did okay for a while, and I thought New York was really great. But then, like, the, the subsequent Gargano-Cole matches is what, what I think really killed the promotion, just because I think um, I think those were, like, super long, and I don't really think Cole's a great worker, but you could just tell, like, Gargano wasn't what he was anymore, and then j- there were just super kicks everywhere. I think those matches got longer and longer until... Like the show was gonna go to ten thirty, and they were doing the entrances for those matches at like eight fifty. <clears throat> yeah. God, that is that's just exhausting to listen to. But like, but like anymore, if it's an NXT main event, it'll be nine fifteen, and they're doing the entrances, and you're like, oh great, they're gonna go forty minutes. Like, I guess I'm just gonna go do something else because I can't take it anymore. Well, since you brought up Cole, like undisputed era should have been out of that promotion like years ago you brought up a takeover in new york uh i didn't stick around that wrestlemania weekend for the raw or smackdown shows but uh our friend damien was there and he out there on the internet there is an epic rant that he went on went into that uh friends were actually capturing on video afterwards like he was so pissed off because they there was a perfect opportunity that raw to debut undisputed era and bring them up to the main roster and they should have and of course the wwe didn't because you know they need stars at nxt too and that's just it's undisputed era is just like beyond stale which is one of the other problems with nxt it's like you just have guys there just like it's just like wasting away yeah. when it's supposed to be a developmental it's it's kind of like seeing the fifth version of the NWO resurrected. It's like I don't yeah. care anymore. The problem is that you guys get stale being there, but as we've seen with with since we brought him up, Keith Lee, it's like maybe if you actually care about these people, like their work, NXT is the only chance you're going to see, like by and large, them to actually like have good matches. You can probably count on like one hand the guys that have come up within the last like five years that are actually now still being used like appropriately or getting a good push. Like I know like Drew McIntyre maybe. It's it's not that many past him. Alistair yeah, Black I mean, supposedly requested to go back and got turned down. Look at like um look at retro look at this year though. You have retribution, 
Well, last year was Ricochet, but I mean, like huh. Retribution's so misused that they're dropping fault. Like, could you imagine? Could you imagine? Let's imagine you have Mia Yim on your roster, and you give her a dumbass name like Reckoning, and then you don't use her to her strengths whatsoever, which is being a face doing some flashy stuff and having charisma and you completely take that away from her because you that's what you do or imagine imagine you have Sami Zayn and for the bulk of his main roster career he's been a heel when he's like a spectacular baby face to give Zayn some credit he's been a he's a really good heel too because Sami Zayn's good at wrestling but but it's like, but it's like, um, but this is, this is like what they do though. They take someone that can do both, but is like a B plus in one role and like an A plus in another role, and they always put them in the B plus role. So you have a bunch of people doing stuff they're not as good at. Like, why is Charlotte a face? Like, she's a she. Well, she's not a good face, but she's a spectacular <laughs> heel. But we can't. You know what I mean? Like. There's a lot of people that are playing like like why is Sasha Banks been a face like for the bulk of her main roster career? Yeah. Uh, Brad, since you brought up Charlotte, I, I did point out that I didn't mention like a few minutes ago and talk about the Charlotte Rhea Ripley match. They had Charlotte go over, and then Charlotte has then subsequently been out of action most of the year. So it's like great, you uh, you basically ruined Rhea Ripley. Uh, when you could have made her a real star by having her put over the woman who you booked probably stronger than anyone in the women's division in the last like three four years. Well, the, uh, the best but no, part like, is you when you job her out. Mm-hmm. The best part is when she lost the title. She lost it in a three way where EO pinned not Charlotte to win the belt. So that's like that's what yeah. they did. Mm-hmm. I was going to job her out though. Ago. You chop her out, and then, and then Charlotte, like, you know, goes on sabbatical for the... Yep. It's, I, it's I was going to say, Brad, back to your Sami Zayn comparison, you, this is a guy who was getting cheers and chants over people like Bret Hart standing in the same ring as them. People were singing his theme song and chanting for him, and they did nothing with him for six months after that. I don't know if the company's just got like some serious lag built in or if they just get so pissed off. And I know we've said this before. They just get so pissed off that someone got over without being explicitly told to and explicitly how. I don't understand that. I'm, I'm still baffled by the idea that, oh, this guy's over. Instead of going, this guy's over. Let's do something with that or... This guy's over, and he wasn't supposed to be, so we better cool that off. It's like, do you guys not like making money? It's it's the it's arrogance. They want to they they're going to show that they are right and they know better. It's like how they had Io Shirai, Tony Storm, Carrie Sane, and Shayna Baszler all come in at the same time, and Shayna Baszler is the one that's gotten consistently pushed the entire time because they're going to prove that they're right. And I know people like Baszler. My point is, you took three really great workers and an okay worker, and the okay worker is the one they go with because that's what they do. 
or how Baron Corbin, we cannot get <laughs> away from him ever. Well, it's been really hard on Baron Corbin since COVID hit and and Applebee's closed and he couldn't be the <laughs> couldn't be the host up front anymore. Now, Shad, let's, you're being inaccurate here. Like he works at Burger King now. He wears a crown, so he obviously works at Burger King. I would uh, rather go to Applebee's, to be honest. Or he's, with you. or he's like, or he's like the host at Medieval Times now. <laughs> Is that a step up or a step down? Um, well, it depends. Are there, are there a lot of those? I went. To, so if you go to it in South Carolina, um, it's at Myrtle Beach. You essentially go eat like in this like arena, and you watch people like joust and do stuff and you eat crappy chicken and soup. So uh, there's I think a, that's... there's a variety of those, but medieval times, I think is the most widespread. So I think it's an improvement because I think even though the food was bad, I would still prefer that to um, Applebee's. But I think I would, I think, I think for, for me and Applebee's, I would choose rooting around in the dumpster of a good restaurant for dinner instead of eating at Applebee's. Wow. Strong words. Yes. How about like a Ruby Tuesday? Ruby Tuesday's good. How about a Red Robin? Yes, I would I well Red Robin I think is a quality burger. I think if you want to go for a <laughs> burger on the cheap, you go for Red Robin. See, I I like Red Robin. Um the thing that, of course, is under like, like unappreciated, is the bottomless fries, and they're oh, like I, steak gonna, fries. I, I thought you were gonna say, um, do you know? Do you know the trick? Like, you go in and order starter fries and get some fries as an appetizer. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. And if you get it to go in the COVID era, they actually give you like, you actually get um like driving home fries on top of your fries nice or if like or if you're gonna have to wait a while they'll bring you like fries to like chew on while you wait that's nice of them no i like i like red robin too like it's a solid burger um and it's like it's like a good step before you get into like anything crazy and for a chain restaurant i feel it's pretty good I think that's that's fair enough statement for a chain restaurant. But now uh, I I think um I think um and I don't I know I think the food's better there, but I've never gelled with it very well. But I don't really care for TGI Fridays. Okay, I got a TGI Friday story for you. My wife hates the story. <laughs> um, okay, so it's probably a good, it's probably a good story. <laughs> Uh, eh. the okay. So my wife loved TGI Fridays, and so we the the night before my bachelor party, she and some of her friends, she was gonna go meet some of her friends to get dinner, and she's like, "Well, why don't you why don't you come and eat with us?" I was like, "Yeah, okay, sure." And they went to TGI Fridays. I was like, "Well, fine." And so I thought I would order something both kind of safe and interesting enough, like, you know, something different. So it, w- it wasn't just the same old thing. So I ordered 
this Guy Fieri picked selected menu item thing, right? And it was this, I, I don't remember, weird ass burger with a fried plantain with it. And the next yeah. morning, I'm getting, I'm, yeah, I, I, took a, I took a bite of the plantain because I was like, I don't know what this is. And I found what it was and I spit it out. But I finished the burger. The next morning, I get up because for our bachelor party, we were going to go paintballing in the morning. We were going to get, you know, go have a big dinner. We were going to hang out, have cigars, you know. And I got an intestinal infection. Oh, my God. From the Guy Fieri burger at TGI Fridays the night before my bachelor party. I set out three quarters of our paintball games and then after dinner fell asleep on the couch of my own bachelor party for six hours. <laughs> Guy Fieri ruined my bachelor party. So you didn't, um, <laughs> so for, for your bachelor party, you did not go to the traditional, um, gentleman's ballet for your bachelor party. I have an issue with that in concept. It's, I don't understand throwing money at intentionally getting blue balls. Like, I don't know. Under- like that, that concept doesn't make mm-hmm. sense to me. Well, you see, haven't been the see, right, you haven't been the right yeah. establishments. And, and we're not, it's also to, not a me thing. All right. If we're, if you know me personally, you know that that's that's not a very shad thing to do. Fair we're enough. also we're also not animals here. You don't throw the money at them. You gently put it in their <laughs> g-string, like a gentleman. Yes. But and maybe compliment my, their heels. You, you get my point, right? Like, first of all, that's not my scene. Second of all, you know, I'm I'm not. I'm just not. I'm not game. I'm a one woman guy. That's, that's me. That's who I am. And, uh, you know, I wasn't interested in doing it. And so it wasn't a big deal, but I didn't even like my buddy got me some, Oh my God, some premium, premium cigars. Like they are makers mark individually sealed cigars, but I even still have some sitting around. I've still got them tucked away here. Didn't even get to have that at my bachelor party. I had that the night before I got married. So my bachelor party was like two weeks prior. So there you go. I don't like TGI Fridays. One, I think the food is bad. Two, Guy Fieri ruined my bachelor party. And there you go. That's a, that's a like good... Like I said, uh... my, my wife hates the story because that's my justification for never going there. I wondered why you had such a weird grudge against Guy Fieri. Now I know. <laughs> it's been like a running gag in our our chats that comes up from sometimes i've never like asked you before i just thought sometimes you're being facetious but now i know you have a real reason to want to take a folding chair to his head now to be to be entirely fair he wasn't there he didn't cook the burger i don't know if the the cook in the back blew a snot rocket in the burger before they sent it up or whatever but for the sake of it being a good story, it was his item on the menu. It gave me an intestinal infection. <laughs> so I, you know, one of the things going back to NXT before we, we, we sign off for the night. One of the things I really don't like about NXT the last couple of years is they take the war games concept and they repeatedly like miss the point of it. That undisputed air has been in every single one, but, um, I also find it slightly offensive that Pat McAfee, pays more attention to wrestling detail than um, just about anyone else. Ah, that's a good point. 
for those who are not aware of Pat McAfee on his uh, on his actual like daytime gig, he is he has been wearing a neck brace on his uh, is it, is it a radio show or podcast something like that. I think it's a radio sh- show that gets aired on TV. Yeah, there there is like a an, an actual like video component to it, so you can actually watch him uh, do the show. So there there's that aspect of it, and he is selling kayfabe like nobody's business. He has he's had a neck brace on like all week long. Well, I mean it's only been like two days, but I mean he's been selling the fact that he was in a war games match, and. <laughs> He doesn't have to. It's like his day job. Like people who like regularly listen to him, they're not. They don't necessarily care about wrestling, but he's doing it because he actually seems to have a respect for the business, and he's doing it that he's doing this shit that like the the WWE doesn't even care about. You'll have guys like get almost murdered and then still show up fine, like at the end of the broadcast of the show. And and let's let's also put this in perspective. They have this multi-million dollar performance center and um, all these coaches they hire and some guy that Rip Rogers took and stretched in a barn in his backyard is better trained than anything the WWE is doing right now mm-hmm. with their training center. Like, think about that. Think um, of all the millions of dollars they they dump into that facility and Rip Rogers trained a guy in his barn better. I think that McAfee genuinely loves the idea of doing this like you know i used to listen to him when he would do you know radio interviews and stuff when he was on the colts and he had bought a wrestling ring and put it in his in his barn back then he did he didn't do it because it's like oh you know you make a living at it or something like he just genuinely loved doing it and you know he's putting his heart into it and the the odd thing you were talking about the performance center is I can't help but wonder if people are being trained out of quote unquote bad habits and they're like, Oh no, no, we can't do, you can't be doing that here. You know, that's a bad habit. We're going to have to get out of you when it just doesn't match up with their, um, uh, their product. Robert who Robert, who is a controversial, um, online figure who has sources has discussed how the performance center seems to work. And um, the problem, according to him, is that there aren't enough coaches for the people they have because they're just hoarding talent. But the performance center is also kind of a hug box where it's um, they don't really give negative like feedback to people, so they don't like actually train the bad stuff out of them. But it's also like a faux pas to like push for yourself there this is according to him and he said like he said like he they would probably benefit from someone like rip rogers but he doesn't say like politically correct things in that environment but that's that's according to him look there's probably something to that yeah yeah Yeah. on one hand you 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 want to if you want to build people up i'm a big fan of positive reinforcement but on the other hand sometimes you got to turn them around and say, you got to quit doing this crap because this doesn't work or this looks bad or this is stupid. And like, <clears throat> okay, we used to, one of the places I used to work before the show, there'd be guys who they'd want to come train. So part of the deal was, all right, you help, you get here, you help set up the ring 
And if we have time before the show, we're, we'll put you through some paces and see how you do. And nine out of ten would just wash out because they, they couldn't handle it. And it wasn't us, like, being mean to them, but it was, you know, they could not handle the physicality of it. And there was this one little, this kid who I might have mentioned in the past, but, you know, he was like five foot four and he was a stick figure and, you know, uh, pale skin, freckles, red hair, you know, this whole thing. And he wanted to be called Mr. Entertainment, Alex Rodriguez or something like that, at which I almost burst out laughing in his face when he said that we're doing a, we're doing bump drills, right? It's like, okay, one guy's gonna one guy's gonna punch you, bump, come up, go to the next one. That's what you're gonna do here. Okay? And I had already gotten on it. I'm like, dude, look, I know you want to do this, but you can't put your elbows down whenever you do this. You're gonna blow your shoulder out of socket. You you can't you can't do that. That's that's not me like hug boxing, and that's me telling you don't do that or you're gonna get yourself hurt. And we start doing this, and he keeps doing it. And I'm like, dude, what did I say? Quit doing that. And then he comes to feed to me for a punch, and I'm trying to, you know, God bless him. I'm, I don't know if I'm trying to do him a favor or what, but I go to do a Hulk Hogan punch where I put my hand on his head and then throw. Mm-hmm. And my fist gets to about four inches away from him before he goes down. And I stop, and I go, dude, I hadn't hit you yet. And he pitched a fit and stormed out. There's there are going to be times when someone's got to tell you you're doing this wrong, like stop. But then again, you don't you don't want to go back to the um, you know the Bill Demont way of you know everything you do is bad, everything you say is wrong kind of stuff because that that's not that's not actually accomplishing anything. All that's doing is trying to tear people down. I also wonder if they get really stuck with the new people of they get obsessed with like running them through physical drills over and over and over again that they actually forget to actually that 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 you need to actually teach them how to wrestle and give them ring time instead of having them do Hindu squats and like bump drills all day long. Yeah. So they're out of your hair. If you're gonna if you're if if you're gonna hire people because of what you've already seen them do, then you don't need to have them do that. They're good enough to get there. Like that thing where they had like Sammy Guevara, like on that old tape, like doing like stupid, like physical drills. (coughs) And it's just like, why? Like why? If he's there as an Indian invite, like you don't need to do that shit with him. If he obviously already knows how to wrestle and well, look at him in AEW now, maybe you guys should have just like figured something out for him. Yeah, like uh, I, I get what you're saying about the everything becoming a hug box, and and that's not going to be super useful. Of course, on and the I other feel hand, like, and and I feel like if you're bringing a Johnny Gargano in, like you already know what he's good at. It's about beating the bad stuff that he does out of him and making him better. And you can't do that if it's all positive reinforcement. That's how you end up with the Johnny Gargano you get now that's insufferable because he's so into his own excesses now. Yeah. Oh, and Candace broke her arm on that 
women's yeah. war games. Candace got hurt. EO got hurt. Um, Timothy Thatcher. Thatcher I don't got know hurt. if he's because he busted his eardrum. Because people were commenting how he got busted a hard way, and there is no. That's the other thing that I hate about W NXT War Games is like you can't have war games without blood. Like that just doesn't work. <clears throat> yeah. Um, Timothy Thatcher got hurt. Who else got hurt? Johnny Gargano got hurt. Did Oni Lorcan get hurt? He might have. He I. Th- think he did let me look that up i think he got like a he caught a shot and then you have stupid triple h like saying like oh it's just a bunch of bumps and bruises yeah because a fucking broken arms a bump and a bruise dick they're doing war game stuff too often and if you do it too often everybody feels like they've got to top the last one as opposed to it's like, oh, you know, you got to rise above the expectations. Like, why? You don't have to rise above it. It's a war games match. Have a war games match. You need. And it shouldn't be an it shouldn't be an annual event that's like scheduled. That's where like WCW made the gimmick less um, less cool is when they made it like a like it was kind of an annual event before then, but like it was always like they built a feud up and that was like the big feud ender. But then when like Fall Brawl happened and it was your annual, it happens at this pay per view, it immediately like lost its luster. Yeah. It should be a shock they did that with Hell in the Cell. Oh, they've murdered. Hell in the Cell's dead, like as a gimmick. It's not, it's not important at all at this point. No. It's it's basically WWE's cage match now. That's all Hell in a Cell is. And this year they didn't even put the, the, the right matches in it. Outside of um I think it was Orton versus McIntyre. I could I couldn't name a uh, I guess Roman Reigns versus Jey Uso. Yeah, and was then, there a, was there a third match? Was Bailey and Sasha in the K in the? Oh uh, yeah, yeah, it was. That one was actually would have been appropriate for <laughs> Hell in the Cell, though. Yeah. But like with TLC, like that's I mean, who even gets excited for tables, ladders, and chairs anymore? They've they've taken these gimmicks, which they 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 basically ruined them because it's like they're it's like. When it just becomes something for an annual pay-per-view, like you said, it's it takes all the luster out of it. it these should be brutal matches that end feuds, and it's like, well, we got to shoehorn this in because we got we got to put on the match. It's like no. And Royal Royal Rumble doesn't count because Royal Rumble was like an event in and of itself, which I argue. Even to this day, even though the last couple have sucked, I still feel like the Royal Rumble is like their best gimmick pay-per-view ever. The Rumble has a place in the Mania build. That's that's why it's okay to have is because it's it's the start of the road to Mania. But these other things, Hell in a Cell, TLC, the thing that's so awful about not only doing them so often is you are taking years off of people's careers in these god-awful bump fests where people get hurt or they're or, or something like that through all of this stuff repeatedly. And why? 
well, because it's, you know, June and this is when we have TLC. It's like, then quit doing it. Save these things. Don't do them so often. Quit killing people. I feel like their um, insistence that people flat back bump all the time also, like, shortens people's careers instead of letting them decide for themselves what's the best approach at any time and maybe, like, mitigating some of that with um, Mm -hmm. different styles of bumping. But I don't know. As a worker, Shad, would you say that that's... Would you say if someone made you flat back bump for almost every bump that that would suck a lot worse than choosing your poison it's easier to get bad bumps that way um that's that's how i got my the last concussion i had in the ring was just off of a bad bump and just you know my head hit whap there was a white flash and for me the giveaway that i had concussion is it made it feel like my tongue was swelling so it was harder for me to talk so i'd slur Mm. my words and it hit and i was just like so do you? So it's like as a worker, I'm taking it like if you if you're if the freedom's left up to you, you you cheat the system a bit. You might take one off your hip, if you don't need like that thunk. You might pratfall a bit to save your. If you're doing like a big wind up punch, then I might I might not quote unquote bump off of it. You might hit me and I might stumble and then roll down onto the mat and then end up on my knees with my hand on my nose pointing at you, being like, you know, what are you doing? And what have I done there is I, I didn't just boom, go flat off of it. Like I made it this whole big production on how hard you hit me, like it's a Looney Tune or something. And that just makes you look good. And then, you know, maybe I haven't punched another spot on my bone card. Or even like the, the cartoony, like, I know you'd only do it once or twice a match, but even if, even let's say you could throw in like the flare flop or the Greg Valentine flop, like I take it that's e- a little easier like to do for a move than to just flat back bump for it you're doing it on a different part of your body so there's less wear that way some people hate doing those and i don't blame them i didn't like doing just a flare flop i dropped my knees and then pitch forward so it was like a two-stage fall but i wore really thick knee pads Mm. um well i think i think i think it's about all we had to say like i thought I thought this is the first real hot angle that AEW threw at the wall. Mm-hmm. And I felt like it did really well. Like like I said, like it's the first time I've been super intrigued by a wrestling angle, I think, since Summer of Punk. Yeah, I'm, I'm very invested. I want to actually see where they're going to go with this. Yeah, what about you, Shad? Um, it's, it's, it's definitely, it's finally different and exciting and something, something new. So I'm looking forward to see where it goes. Well, I think that has been, um, it for this week, uh, coming up next week because of, um, just because of Shad's illness, we're going to, we're going to be running the 1988 cartoon schedule and then we should be back to finish out the year with Pat Patterson and an Andre episode that'll have some clips from previous shows. Um, so that's what you can expect through the end of the year. Then starting next year, uh, we're going to get into the Ray Mysterio over psychosis thing. Um, 
more cartoon schedules, obviously, because we're getting to that 1990 that Shad's just drooling over to get Fox on the schedule. And um, I I don't know when it will happen, but we're going to do a G.I. Joe episode, and friend of the show, uh, Tim, is going to be coming on for that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that will be in the future. <laughs> We've also talked about doing a review of the the initial like in humanoids like five episodes that's like its own self-contained movie um there's some there's quite a bit on the cartoon front i don't know we have some wrestling stuff on the schedule but we'll see where we go with that um because i'm i'm thinking i'm thinking unfortunately for modern stuff i'm thinking next year is going to be a lot like this year where there's not going to be a lot of fans and I don't know about you guys, but like for me, like if you take fans out of the equation, it's just not the same to me. I just, I just, there's something you need. Like I just need the fans. I would agree with that. It, I, even though we give them a lot of criticism, I do actually think that the WWE using that whole like Thunderdome concept, I think it has helped. It's not the same, but I think it has uh, improved their presentation when it was just like dreadful. Uh, I do like, I like what. Uh, AEW's been doing where they've actually had a, a certain number of fans like kind of just around the ring but I agree with you yeah. it's like it it, it kind of does you, you don't realize how badly you need fans a, a, until this year when it's COVID and everything it's kind of locked down yeah I don't I don't think that's going to be better next year yeah alright well I think we've tapped out <laughs> this topic yeah I think so too So join us next week for 1988 cartoons.